Where will you spend your eternity? This is a question that does have an answer, even if you don't know what it is. I'm Pastor John. The ministry of Headed Home is designed to prepare you for that day we will all face, our last. Join us as we find and answer the tough questions and remember, you cannot truly live until you're truly ready to die. Well, awesome blessing to be here again tonight. Uh, amazing how my eyes are just getting worse by the day. Anybody else is getting like that? Wow. Isn't that unreal? It's like your eyeballs wake up in your 40s and start going, happy trails to you. You know? <laughs> it's God just reminding us that this is not our home and there's somewhere else he wants us. Amen. You may remember with Eli, what were the condition of Eli's eyes as he entered eternity? Scripture says his eyes were what? Weak. His eyes were weak. Remember he was sitting on that chair, he leaned back, and the ark got disappeared, fell backwards and broke his neck and died. He was a heavy man. That's what the Bible said. I mean, that's what it says. But... You see that a lot in Scripture. There's very few people who had very good vision. Now in the Old Testament, we see some of that. But um, I guess a lot more these days, we're realizing God, God wants to magnify the reality for us that this is not home. This is a place we're passing through. Turn to Bible book tonight that you probably not turned to much, Nahum. Nahum. It is a book that I don't even off the top of my head ever recall having preached out of having had anybody preach out of in my life um i don't know how many of you there's there's not a it's not a huge book but it i'll just tell you the opening in mind it says book nahum dramatically portrays god's overwhelming assyria to relieve the oppressed people it was certainly a harsh message for israel's enemies but for the people of judah it was a message of hope and that's <clears throat> One of the things I love about the book of Nahum is that there is uh, there's victory, there's spiritual victory in these three these three books that God gave us, uh, chapters of this book. It's just a really powerful thing. Tonight we're going to look at chapter 1 and verses 2 through 5, and we're going to read a little bit about God's character tonight. We're going to look a little bit about the holiness of God, and there is such a need, I'll be honest with you, there's such a need for the holiness of God, I think like never before in history. I really believe that. You know, Scripture says, be holy because why? He is holy. God is holy. That's the reason. It's not because we are putting on some facade or some front. We're doing it because God calls us to be. And the holiness of God, again, we could study on it literally for months. And uh, we're going to just look at some three, three real kind of attributes about God tonight, what he's done and what the fact ultimately that God's holiness demands justice. God's holiness demands justice. If God wasn't holy, there would be no need for a savior. There'd be no need for sin to be atoned for. It would have just been another chapter in the annuals of history. But because of God's holiness, sin must be atoned for. It must be paid for. And tonight we'll look a little bit again about God's holiness. We're going to look at verses uh, two through five, Nahum chapter one. You have to bear with my voice tonight. And if you're physically able Let's stand out of reverence tonight for the reading of God's Word. <clears throat> the Lord.
The Lord is a jealous and avenging God. The Lord takes vengeance and is fierce in wrath. The Lord takes vengeance against his foes. He is furious with his enemies. The Lord is slow to anger, but great in power. The Lord will never leave the guilty unpunished. His path is in the whirlwind and in the storm, and the clouds are the dust beneath his feet. He rebukes the sea, and it dries up, and he makes all the rivers run dry. Bashan and Carmel wither, even the flower of Lebanon withers. The mountains quake before him, and the hills melt. The earth trembles at his presence, the world and all who live in it. Father, thank you tonight for your word. God, thank you for your holiness. God, thank you for your patience, your long-suffering nature, which we know there is a limit, God, but Father, we just want to magnify tonight the beauty of your faithfulness, God, your patience, your love for mankind, your desire that none should perish, but all should come to saving faith. Lord, I pray that your word would speak as only you can tonight through your Spirit's power, your Spirit's presence. Lord, lay bare the thoughts, intentions, words, actions of our heart, our life, Father, bring us to a place of total yielded obedience, the only place we'll ever find the perfect peace that surpasses all understanding. Lord, we ask this tonight in the precious name of our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> in verse 2 there, listen again, it says, uh, The Lord is jealous, an avenging God. The Lord takes vengeance and in is fierce in wrath. The Lord takes vengeance against his foes. He is furious with his enemies. The first thing I want to share with you tonight is this. God created, provided for, sent Jesus to save us. He deserves all glory and praise. God has a right to be jealous. Not only is God holy, God is righteous, God is justice, God is everything. So not only did he send Jesus to be the atoning work, to be the propitiation for us, that he died in our place, paid a debt we could never pay, he assured that hell, death, and sin would all be locked away eternally and hit the second coming. We know that all things are going to be made new. There's going to be no more of the old order of things, even including the sunshine that lights the day. There's going to be no more light coming from a star anymore. Where's the light come from? The radiance of God's glory. Anybody remember when a man saw God face to face and his face glowed? Huh? Moses. Can you imagine... And see, that's where we, I, I wish we could even begin to grab, as we meditated on it and thought about it and prayed to it, can you imagine what the holiness of God would do in the essence that it would be a transference of light to the face of Moses? Can you imagine what the holiness of God is when he sits down on Mount Sinai and what happened to the rocks? It scorched them. That's the holiness and perfection of God. Can you imagine that? Now, what do we talk about spiritually? The refiner's fire. The holiness of God burns up anything that is what? Sinful and broken and all of those things that are need to be extinguished and removed from his presence are going to be scorched by the refiner's fire. 
all of the true things of the Lord, whatever's noble, whatever's just, whatever's right, whatever's holy. Those are the things at the end of the day when we aren't investing in things where moth and rust can destroy, where thieves can break in and steal, because the refiner's fire one day is going to refine that, the holiness of God. And when I talk about the great white throne of judgment, when you think about that and you reflect on what that means, that's profound. The great white throne, what is white significant? I wish we could do that tonight again. There's so many trails that each one of these we could go through on any given night and give a little bit more context in it, but there's just so much content in this. But the thing about it is, God is jealous. He is an avenging God. God avenges injustice. Now, we don't, we don't understand that because we don't, God doesn't work on our time. God works on his time frame. So what happens to us is we do something, we see something happen, and we get upset because we're like, God, man, God's going to make this right. And then we wait a week or two, right? You're praying, Lord, just make this right. And then all of a sudden... God hadn't acted in your time. And then what's the next battle? Faithlessness. God, do not answer me. And the next thing you know, we're weeping in the presence of the Lord because we're frustrated that God didn't go and break bad so you could go, "Uh uh-huh, told you, God, God, I'm good. Because it's not about our time. It's about God's time. It's about God's holiness. It's about his purpose. It's about his objectives. By the way, you better be real careful because instead of praying, God, get them, We have been mandated spiritually to pray blessings on them. Bless and do not curse those who despitefully use you. Amen? That's what the Bible says. That's not just first uh, Balonians out of the Longview Baptist edition either. That's God's word. So what that means is when God's word says it, it's truth, whether we like it or not, or we can fall into the parable of the unmerciful servant, which then removes God's judgment from that person and his judgment falls on us. You want to be an object of God's wrath or would you like to be an object of God's mercy? I personally have had enough time in my life outside of the covenantal promises of God as a lost person for 29 years. I do not desire to exit the camp anymore, amen? I don't have any desire to be out at the camp to enjoy a little quiet time. I don't want it. I don't need it. That has to do with being outside of fellowship with God because you or I are going, no way, Lord, I want to do this and I deserve it. You know what I'm dealing No, I want God's blessing. I want God's presence. I want the comfort. I want the warmth of the camp. I want the fellowship with other believers that is found within the camp. I don't want the loneliness. Can you imagine the feeling of cold it would be outside of that protective umbrella, the bubble, so to speak, of God's protective hand. I don't want anything to do with being outside of it. And see, God is jealous. God's an avenging God. That's interesting because we know from New Testament concepts, we can understand how these both interapply between Old and New Testament because we know what the New Testament says. Those that sow to the flesh reap destruction. So God's avenging justice must deal with sin. Sin must be atoned for. It must be paid for. Even the actions that we engage in, and well, let's just say God convicts you in short order or whatever amount of time, and we repent of it. But what happens also is there are these things we know that start with a C. They're called consequences. And a lot of times we don't like those because we think, well, Lord, I finally came to my senses. I enjoyed a season of fun and 
a season of sin, and then I decided I didn't want it anymore, so I, I, I asked you for forgiveness, and Lord, and I, I don't let anything happen to me. What? Consequences are consequences. I stopped smoking over 20 years ago. There's a day that I could one day be diagnosed with lung cancer because I smoked over 20 years. I started at nine years old. So whether you or I believe it or not, there are consequences to actions. Let me just tell you one thing. I hope there's nobody in this building that's vapes because if you're vaping those little things, those nicotine vape things, right, you don't know what you're putting in your... I'm just going to tell you something. There's somebody in the ground right now because... Actually, sorry, two people that I know, me one personally, but another one my brother knew personally who worked for him are in the ground now because of those things. Those things are absolutely destructive to the temple of the Holy Spirit, especially in a believer. I'm not in here to beat the band of cigarettes and beer and, and vapes tonight, but I just want to tell you something. Don't think for a moment that you're going to get out unscathed because all you have to do is go sit down with a pulmonologist, which is a person who deals with the pulmonary system, and you are playing a dangerous game of Russian roulette that I assure you, you will lose. I had someone I told, you got to stop those things. Those things are going to kill you. And friends, this person is dead tonight, a very young person. They ended up in respiratory failure, and they are gone history out of here there's consequences to our actions we don't like that you know people want to drink for 40 years and then get upset because oh why did god do this to me my liver's gone out i'm turned bright yellow and i'm sick as a dog they're pulling fluid off me three and four liters of fluid a week and i just don't understand why in the world this could and would happen to me the wages of sin church there's consequences to actions We have a holy God, and the holiness of God demands justice, but even in the sense that we are forgiven, there are consequences to actions that we've got to be very careful about. If you think that God withheld walking into the promised land by one of the most godly people we ever know from Scripture, don't we? And that's a man named Moses. He never got to see the promised land, did he? Why? Wait, he left, he ran off on his family and had a season of fun, didn't he? Oh, no. Oh, no, he got involved in some illegal activity, and um, he did some really bad stuff that affected millions of people. No. Um, it had to be something profound. No. He disobeyed what God had told him to do. And he never got to see the promised land. Oh, Brother Jonathan, that's that Old Testament stuff. I want to tell you something, a modern-day story. A man who actually sang at this church one day, he was my uncle. I'll never forget when my uncle got sick. My uncle, many years before that, had made a very terrible decision, and he shared this. I given me permission to share this. He had left his wife. He left her for, for the, the enemy. You know how the enemy puts out these uh, mirages that I talk about continually, but he bit the bait on a mirage. And he left the wife of his youth, and he made a foolish decision. And later on down the road, he realized the foolishness of that decision, and he repented for that decision, and God had forgiven him. But before he made that decision, I'll never forget one day, we were on the golf course. We were out in Wilson County. I will never forget it. I still see it like it happened just now. I was getting ready to tee up, 
And right when he, I was 18 or 17 or 18 years old, and I was getting ready to tee up, and he said, John, I got a question. By the way, don't call me John. He called me John. The people that knew me before I came to Christ called me John. He said, John, would you live like I did for the next 50 years? I was 18 years old. I was lost as lost. I wouldn't live 15 minutes with someone that I didn't think was the most optimal of people back then. Amen? And be all, I'd love my aunt to death, but she was a rough woman at that point. And I said, I wouldn't live with it, not me. So long story short, he ended up making decisions and he left his family. He said, 50 years. You know what the problem was? He didn't know that from the day we stood on that golf course, he had less than 15. When he got cancer, he called me to come see him. And I went over and sat down with him and he said this to me, I'll never forget it the rest of my life. He looked at me and he said, John, I'm dying because of my sin. He knew he was saved. He knew he'd been forgiven. But he, was, he realized, he recognized, just like Moses, he was not going to see the promised land. Let me tell you what his promised land was. He loved his grandchildren. He always wanted to be the, the most optimal of grandparents he wanted to go to their football games. He wanted to throw, loved football, wanted to throw football with them. He was such a fun guy, one of the funnest people I've ever known. I worked for him for years in the Christian music business. And by the way, he had a very successful Christian music company that after he left, the wife of his youth was removed from him by God and all of the blessing that had happened through so many people and artists that were discovered because of this, all of that ceased. So this is a thing, church, we've got to remember that God is holy, God is just, God is an awesome, loving, forgiving God, but the actions that we engage in, we must be very, very careful because spiritually speaking, God doesn't play games with us. Those that sow to the Spirit reap life everlasting. The Bible talks about us fleeing wickedness, fleeing immorality, fleeing the pursuit of financial gain versus spiritual gain and all of these things that are so easily entangle us living out building bigger barns right you know the scripture talks about you remember the, the rich man right building bigger barns going to build bigger barns and store up more for later on what does he say you fool this very night your life will be demanded from you i want to encourage everyone here in this building tonight do not invest in the things of this life, looking for that retirement one day when you're going to be able to sit out there and do whatever you want to do and go play golf every day or go to the health spa or whatever it is, and you're going to travel all over the world, and you're going to do this, and you're going to do that, and, you're, and all of your focus is selling your life short now, missing fellowship, missing the ability to be a part of Bible studies or men's breakfast or Sunday school. Why? Because you're just focused on that goal because once you have that goal, then you can have some, then you'll be able to serve. You'll be able to be involved in missions. You'll be able to help with Bible school. You'll help with the nursery. You'll help with all those things down the road. I got to be honest with you, most, I pretty much can promise it's not going to happen. Because what you're telling God is, I'm not going to be faithful now. I'll do it later. We don't tell God that. God's the holy God. We are doulos. We're slaves. We serve a holy, the title of tonight's message, 
holy God. We serve a holy God who sent the precious Lamb of, of God, Jesus Christ, to become sin for us. To hang on a cross and bear every thought, every action, every intention, everything. Not so that we get a get out of hell free card and can go live like the devil the rest of our lives. God has redeemed us so that we might be transformed. Transformed into the likeness of Christ and this salvation, sanctification process is about growing in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. You want to paint the church pink? I don't give two flips if you paint the church pink. You know why? Because if it'll bring people to saving faith in Jesus Christ, let's start now. You get it? What I'm saying is all these other things have no eternal value. They have no eternal meaning. Nothing. I'll do anything that's what matters to me, that people come to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. If I have to get outside with a megaphone on top of the building, if I knew that people would come to Christ as a result of it, I'll do it. That's what matters, church. What are you doing tonight that matters in the perspective of the spiritual things? See, God provided. He created for us. He sent Jesus to save us. He deserves all of our glory, all the praise, all the honor, all the sacrifice, all the service. He deserves it all. Is he getting it all? Is he? Again, greatest day. Where your treasures are, there's your heart is. Pull out your checkbook. You'll show your heart. By the way, your checkbook shows the heart of every person in this building. You know that? The checkbook reveals the heart of people. Where your treasures are stored up. By the way, I talked to you about it. We're going to be having a stewardship month I haven't had any, I have one person that's come to me when I talked about, I shared it last Sunday. If you have a story of how God faithfully, whether you started tithing, whether it was just God over the years and his supernatural provision with you being faithful at times when you didn't know if you could ever take one step financially ahead and God provided, I want you to let me know. I'm going to want you to type it out because I want it to be cohesive. I want it to glorify God. I don't want you to get up there and ramble for the three or four minutes that we're going to have before we go through these stewardship Sundays. But each Sunday, I want to have a person or, or a husband and wife stand up and share how being faithful with the tithe that God has called them to do, how God has been faithful to do what Scripture says and to show. And because remember, that's the one place in Scripture that God says that we can test them. Everywhere else, it says what? Do not test the Lord thy God. So what I say by this is, are you thinking, is it all God's? And are you right now going, man, I'm going to go up and talk to him because I don't want everybody else to go up there because I know that God's got to have been as good to everybody else as he has me, but I want to make sure I can share how God has been so faithful to us. I hope you'd say that. Because if not, it's not a God problem. I could sit up here tonight and go through story after story, and I'll share my stories during the stewardship about how God with our family has met needs supernaturally in ways that I cannot even, literally, I stand in awe and wonder of the power of God. Even something as wild as on a Sunday, on a Saturday, I told Emily we're going to have to go get a way cow up here at the sale barn because we didn't have enough for the next two weeks, and we were going to have to go get, and I was going to have to process this cow myself, and I was going to do it, and it was a warmer part of the year. 
but I was committed to do it. I said, you know what? I'll just do it. I'll go get a way cow. I'll bring it home. I'll stretch it up out back. I could imagine what that looked like. I worked for a butcher when I was younger, so I know how to do it. And I was committed to do it. Church, you'll never even imagine. So I come in here on Sunday morning, get done preaching. There had been a family that had come here and had only come here one time. And I'm at the back down there. I'd never mentioned that that Sunday. No one knew about it. That person came back after church and said, hey, God's laid on our hearts. We just processed the cow, and we want to give you half of it. Would, y'all, uh, would you be able to use it? Did you hear what I just said? You know what's sad? I didn't hear one person in here give God glory and say amen. Did you hear what I just said? That's the kind of thing you shout amen for because that's the power of God. That's not me. That's not because I'm a good preacher that 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 person walked up and said that. No, they said it because they heard God speak and they were obedient to come back and do with this person that they didn't even know. I can't even imagine how awkward it would have felt for them because I could have gone, what do you think, we're poor or something? No, I was like, you don't even know. And I shared with the story of those people, what I was, and it brought them to tears that, that, that morning, that Sunday morning. It's been a few years ago now. See, that's what God does. God's holy, God's righteous, God's just, and no good thing does he withhold from them that love him. That's what Bible says. Are you in that place where God is taking captive every area of your life? Are you one of the Israelites in the book of of Nahum here where you're watching God just knock the enemies down because of your obedience? Or is there another book you're thinking about right now because your life's playing out a little different than that? And maybe tonight you're going, you know what, Brother Jonathan, I'm almost embarrassed that my name isn't on that read through the Bible thing, Brother Jonathan, because I know you say it week in and week out. And I know you're not, I'm not doing this so that I can embarrass or shame anybody. I'm not. And I don't even go through that thing and go, let me see who's on this and who's not. Um, I don't do that. That's between you and the Lord. If you don't have a desire to read God's word, then it's your business. I can't force you to do it. I beg you to. Because I know it will change your life. It'll change your family. And it'll change subsequent generations if Christ Jesus doesn't come back. So I'm just offering you the greatest blessing that any man, woman, or child could ever experience in all history and time, but also to be able to sit in here and hear what God has done in people's hearts and lives through their obedience to getting in God's word day after day with the goal of covering the Bible cover to cover every year, knowing God I can't absorb everything in the word, but I know the Holy Spirit has the ability in what Ephesians 3.20 unto him who is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we can ask or think according to the power that works in us. That's what I'm talking about. See, God created us. He provides for us. He sent Jesus to save us. He deserves all of the glory and the praise in our life. Is he getting that glory and that praise in your life? Or is God getting a bunch of excuses tonight about how tired you are? Oh, I left my glasses in the kitchen and I I read, you know, I'm I'm hurting, so I'm going to wait until tomorrow. God, sorry, I'll listen to you in the morning after I've gotten some rest. Or when you get up in the morning, see you got busy because you slept and you let that demonic snooze button hit three or four times. You missed all the opportunity you would have had to read because you fell for for the bait. And then, oh, I'm sorry, Lord, I'll read tonight. And then what we do, we just go through that cycle once again. The next thing you know, it's been months. 
And, and it, whether it's a message, whether it's a brother or sister in Christ, you find yourself under conviction because you realize how far you have fallen. You have lost your first love. See the height from which you have fallen. Do the things you did at first as God called the church at Ephesus to. They were still looking spiritual, though. Remember from the outside? God even commended them on some of their actions. Said, hey, you're doing a really good job. I'm paraphrasing. You know, you did this, and oh, I love you guys are doing really good, but, but I hold this against you. He went through that, and then he scorched them. Because the heart that has gotten off, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, body, and strength, will never love their neighbor as their self. Because if God is not number one, he's not going to be the preeminent place that he deserves to be. He's king. He's God. He should be our everything. Now listen to verse 3 again. So it says then, the Lord is slow to anger, but great in power. The Lord will never leave the guilty unpunished. His wrath is in the whirlwind and storm. The clouds are dust beneath his feet. I want to, sh the first little part right there. The Lord is slow to anger. You know, you can look at America, I, I really even say, until the 90s, I would have said, I, you really didn't see aspects of God's judgment at that part. But I just want to tell you now, if you don't believe that America is under God's judgment, you better get your head out of the sand or up under the rock, you've got it under. Because America is under God's judgment. If that scares you, then I don't know what to tell you. Because it's nothing to fear. Just because you're in a nation that has abandoned God as a whole doesn't mean that the remnant, amen? As scripture talks about the remnant of people that God has that are seeking God's face, and I'm hearing God do things supernaturally all over in little bodies of Christ and little uh, life groups and churches and watching what God's even done in this body of Christ when it's so different from what's happening in other pastors' ministries that I talk to on a weekly basis. See, Though God is slow to anger, see, he is just, he is holy. So therefore, a nation can't kill millions upon millions upon millions of babies and believe they can escape the judgment of God. I'm sorry, but they can. That's why when those churches say they won't have them in there, Tennessee right to life, because it's a controversial subject. I say, you've lost your mind. I don't know what kind of ministry you call yourself you, I'm be honest with you, that's why God didn't put me in that ministry. Because we wouldn't have a ministry. Somebody would say that to me, and I would literally look like Elijah up on Mount Carmel, standing inside of that church, rebuking them like nothing and nobody's business. I'd go, how, what, wait a second, how many fetuses do you guys have amongst your fellowship? Because I have never once, ever in my life, saved or lost, seen a woman go, hey, come over here and feel my fetus. It just kicked. You know what I've always heard? Oh, feel my baby. It's right over here. Never have once. The only time I ever hear it referred to as a fetus is when somebody's wanting to get rid of it. Oh, it's just a fetus. It's not a baby. Yeah, that's a baby church. From the moment of conception, it is a baby formed by God for his glory, and no matter what, the world may think's wrong with it. God doesn't make junk. There's nothing wrong with it. And if a child has a disability, God is entrusting a gift to that family. God forbid we throw that out like trash. See, second thing I want to share with you tonight is this. God is loving, 
and compassionate, yet there is a limit to his patience. You ever thought of that? Did you know that? Anybody in here know that? That there's a limit to God's patience? Do you know who, do you know right now, you ready for this? Do you know the only one who knows the limit to God's patience tonight? Only the Father. Jesus didn't even know. He says, only the Father. I don't know when Christ is coming back. One day, God's going to say, go get my children. He's going to do that. We know that. And we know what Scripture says also. That every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. It's going to happen whether you want to do it on this side of eternity or you want to do it on the other side. I would encourage you to do it on this side. Because on that side, there's no returns. You're still going to do it, but you will spend your eternity after having professed Christ as Lord separated from him. And when we hear the, the weeping and gnashing of teeth, have anybody in here ever lost something that they absolutely loved more than anything else in this world? Do you remember after shortly losing whatever it was, whether it was a person, whether it was a job prospect or whatever, do you remember that anguish feeling inside Wishing you could go back. It's really especially true with tragedies. I wish I could have gone out and warned them. I wish I would have known. I wish I'd have paid attention. I wish I'd this. I wish I'd have that. But you sit back and you anguish over wishing you could go back. And some people deal with this their entire lives over mistakes they made. That's what hell is. It's a perpetual state of waking up. By the way, oh, you don't sleep. Sorry. It's being awake the 24-7 in a place where there's no more time. There is days a thousand years, thousand years is a day, no, no need for time anymore because the old order of things has passed away. It is absolute and complete loneliness and isolation in complete and utter torment with every good and perfect gift having been removed where you hear every word that was ever spoken to you. As a matter of fact, if somebody listens to this online or is in this building, God forbid, that doesn't know Christ, do you realize tonight this message will resonate in your mind throughout eternity as you heard the gospel truth and once again either reaffirmed your lostness or believed in your own mind that everything was going to be fine because you and God have an understanding or whatever the many things that people use to justify themselves and believe that it's going to be okay. See, God... His justice demands judgment, and therefore it's not going to be okay for a person that does not, by the Holy Spirit, willing them to salvation, mean the Holy Spirit opens their heart, helps them understand that they are a sinner in need of a Savior. And I believe beyond a shadow of a doubt that God does that to every man, woman, and child at one point in their lifetime. That's what I believe. And I believe it's at that point. As a matter of fact, let's just say when I was 28 years old, if I'd wanted to get saved, I didn't come to that understanding until I was 29 years old. God opened my heart and helped me understand for the first time in my life truly what it was to be lost and without hope. And that was the time when I reached up for the hand that was reached down. And it's like that old song we sang growing up, Long my imprisoned spirit lay cast down in sin and nature's night. Thine eye diffused a quickening ray. I woke the dungeon flamed with light. I rose, went forth, and followed thee. Anybody remember that song? Great, great song. Such theology in there. It's talking about the prison of sin that we're born into. 
It's a darkened prison, but we're, we're lost in it. We, are, we can't see. We are spiritually dead. We are in chains. We are in prison, but the Spirit of God lights the prison we're in, allows us to understand that we are lost and without hope. And as we look to Christ, his eye diffuses a ray of hope and light through the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, helping us understand. And by our confessing of sin, placing our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, we rise out of a dead spiritual state, go forth and follow him. Anyone wants to know that song, let me know. It's, a, it's an old one. It's one of those ones Eddie talks about, the Mayflower songs I love to sing. But it has such theology in it, it speaks to the broken state we are apart from Christ. We are lost and without hope. We have been made what? Alive in Christ. Remember, I've been crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. What does that mean? The life that we live is and breathed in the life of Christ. So therefore, what our objective should be as one who's been made alive in Christ is to honor, glorify, and serve the slave master where the doulos, where the slave to Christ, so we should do the master's will. That's what the whole objective of our entire life should be. Remember, God's loving and compassionate, but there's a limit to his patience. Don't think that you're going to Go sow your wild oats, and you're going to have all the fun you want to because right now you're just, you don't want that spiritual stuff because, you know, you don't want to be all in because it's going to require you to, to be faithful financially. It's going to be requiring you to sacrifice. <laughs> hey, it was a sacrifice. Is a sacrifice easy, church? A true sacrifice? No, it hurts. It's painful. It takes something from you that you can't get back. Time that you couldn't get back. Talents that you might have been for your glory that you have yielded to the Lord to do what God wants you to as opposed to you. It requires us to, to demonstrate one of the greatest acts of faith when an offering plate passes by. What are we doing? We're putting in there something that if God doesn't replace, it's gone sometimes. That's faith being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see, but see how could we not demonstrate faith and showing God, you can have it all. It's all yours, God. I don't have anything that's mine in the first. All of the ability, all that you blessed me with, how arrogant could I be, Father, to believe that I am the author of this, that, that I got this because I'm so wise and so smart and I'm this and I'm that. No, to God be the glory. Lord, you have been so good to me. Look what you've done as I proclaim and profess and praise the name of the Lord because he has been so good and you share it in the assembly and in the fellowship and with your brothers and sisters in Christ. You brag on the Lord because God has been so good to you. You don't take the glory for yourself. You don't take his holiness and try to rob that holiness for yourself and going, man, look what, huh? I've just went and hit a big lick. Look how good I've done. No, it's all to the glory of God, or I pray tonight should be. And then verses four and five, and then we'll finish up. He rebukes the sea, dries it up. He makes all rivers run dry. Bashan, Carmel, wither. Even the flower of Lebanon withers. The mountains quake before him. The hills melt. The earth trembles at his presence. The world and all who live in it. Whew. 
Third and final thing I want to share with you tonight is this. God who pours out blessings on the just and the unjust can shut up the sky. What that means is, those last two verses right here are talking about God can shut the wellspring off in two seconds. You might think, you know, hey, America, man, look at this America. We've got, we got you know, electricity and we've got food and we got, nobody's going to take America down. I don't know who you, th- I don't know what in the world you're thinking. God can do it without even thinking it. God can allow it to happen by enemies from external, enemies from within. God can take this nation down faster than you and I can blink. And I believe right now, the full consuming weight of God's judgment has not fallen because the remnant that is still among us that I spoke of earlier. The remnant of those brothers and sisters in Christ is the reason that God made sure with Lot and them, remember, didn't do them out to Lot. Remember with Noah, put Lot in the boat, been talking about those typologies. And God did not destroy Noah. Why? Because he was faithful. And these ones that all throughout history, even Rahab, look at Rahab. And how God used not only Rahab, this is prostitute, but then what genealogy line comes from that? You want to tell me that God God can do anything? But he can only do it with people that are yielded to him completely. Rahab risked her life when she hid the spies. Do you realize this? If they would have found those spies in her house, she would have been killed. She feared the Lord. Look what God did. Look what God did. See that same God that pours out the blessings on the just and the unjust tonight, church. He can not only shut up the sky for the nation, He can shut the sky up for you personally and your family. You don't want to honor and glorify. You want to rip God off. You want to give God a broken, lame, speckled sacrifice and, and then wonder why God doesn't receive it. Church, don't make God humble you because he doesn't even have to think about it to do it. He doesn't do it because he's just vengeful. He's doing it to bring us to a place of yielded obedience and submission because we will never experience peace, the joy, the hope, and the fulfillment until we see the holiness of God in the place that he and it should be placed. Him in a place of preeminence before everything. Nothing else should get close to the love, commitment, and service and passion we have for our king. Nothing. He is the holy God of all time and creation, and we are his workmanship. Created for good works that he prepared for us in advance. So if you're not fulfilling those works of service, sacrifice to the kingdom that he prepared for you in advance. It's not Brother Jonathan. It's not the, the husband or wife that compelled you to do No. 
God used them to maybe mention something to you about an area of service or sacrifice that you could be involved in, but that's God divinely opening doors in front of you because he has works for us. He has things that God has created us to fulfill. And hey, Bible schools, Sunday school classes, nursery ministry, Bible study ministries, men's breakfast ministries. We got all of these different things we have that you can be involved in. But if you want to be a CEO, Christmas, Easter only, or just a you know, CES, Christmas, Easter, and Sundays, this is a Wednesday night crowd. Why am I saying this? Because God laid this on my heart. There's a reason it might be somebody who's watching online tonight. I don't know. But ultimately, it reaches to the heart of all of us, though, that we might not become complacent, that we might become apathetic, that we might not become indifferent, that we might not become unconcerned. As who did? Sodom and Gomorrah. They were overfed, unconcerned, indifferent, did not care for the poor, so I did away with Sodom and her sister. The outflow, the ultimate, was sexual depravity, but it started long, long, long before when they became overfed, meaning, is that not ironic? Does that not look like our nation? Overfed, unconcerned, indifferent, don't care for the poor, huh? It's ironic, and I'm not talking about people that don't want to work. I'm talking about working poor right now. But just like somebody told me years ago when I was hurt and I had just had meningitis and I needed some food stamps because we were having a hard time eating, and I called the place up because I hadn't been working for years, and I said, hey, we need just a temporary thing. We could use some food stamp money. How do we go about it? And they said, oh, well, you, need, you have to sell your pickup truck. You have to cash in her retirement she had to the university before they would do anything. And I said, man, that's kind of, you ready for this? They said, well, I'll tell you what to do. This is the best way to do it. Then I can give you nine. She said, I can give you 900 and some dollars a month. You need to divorce your wife. Now, you guys, nobody will know about it. You can keep your rings on. Nobody will know. It, it, it's just a thing you'll do. But if you'll do that, we can give you 900 and some dollars a month. And I said, you know what? I need to sleep at night and I have a conscience. Y'all can keep your money. And I hung up the phone. I'll never forget it. You know what we never missed? Never missed a meal. Because God's been faithful. We serve a holy God. We serve a righteous God. We serve a just God. We serve a God that is jealous for us, that desires us to know his holiness, desires us to know his will for our life, desires us to spend time with him in his word. He desires to speak to every single issue that we ever face. But he can't do it when we don't get in his presence. When we're not excited about kingdom work, how are we ever going to get involved in it if we're not excited about it? If we're not excited about hearing the truth when it hurts, how are we ever going to become to the place of brokenness? How are we ever going to deal when we allow these hearts to become hardened? I pray that nobody in here has a hardened heart, but you know that that's a danger for every one of us in here? Anybody know that? The danger of a hardened heart. Praise God, man said to me last Wednesday night, I pray that God would not allow my heart to be hardened. What a great prayer, amen? Good prayer, powerful prayer, awesome prayer, prayer of humility, a prayer realizing the weakness of the flesh that so many in Scripture weren't aware of. Where are you? Where are you tonight? 
Where's your heart? Where's your passion? Are you on board? Are you in? Are you lock, stock, and barrel? God, if you don't come through, it all comes apart. But to God be the glory. Keep me at that place where I am ever mindful of my desperate need to remain desperate for you. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Oh God, thank you for your word tonight. Thank you for the challenge, God, of tonight's message as the Israelites at this place we're looking at was in a place of obedience. God, you did so much, so much delivering, so much conquering of enemies as they were walking in their obedience. Sadly, Lord, more often than not, throughout the Old Testament, we watched your people in essence, spit in your face, run from you, run from blessing to curses. God, don't let us do that. Lord, keep our hearts so softened by the wine of your love, Lord, the love of Christ, the Holy Spirit, Lord, that our hearts would remain sensitive to the Holy Spirit, that we would be so overwhelmed with conviction the moment the Holy Spirit convicts us that we would run to you in repentance immediately, Father. God, keep our heart and our flesh like that of a baby, Father, spiritually speaking. Lord, I pray tonight during this invitation, whatever you want to do, Lord, have your way. We don't know why, God, you, you had me share what you've had me share tonight, whether it's somebody in this room, somebody online. I know, Father, that your word doesn't return void, and God, we glorify your name for that. Father, I pray that this body of Christ would be so passionately in love with you that no one would be able to see anything but you, Father, when they see us. That everything we are points to the finished work of salvation through Jesus Christ. Father, thank you for allowing us to be a part of what you're doing. Use us like never before, Father. Take us out of our comfort zones so that you might orchestrate each and everything that you do in and through us, Father, so that you would be glorified, Father. We would never be able to take the glory because it's so transparent that it's your hand at work. God, I thank you and praise you for the privilege of being a part, God of the kingdom. Thank you for Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. I pray if there's one here or watching online tonight that does not know you as Lord and Savior, if tonight the Holy Spirit has helped them understand their need for a Savior, they realize the separation from you, they realize that Jesus Christ died on the cross, bore their sin, breathed his last breath, three days later conquered hell and death, Lord, and is right now seated at your right hand. I pray tonight, Lord, they would place their faith and trust in you, repent of their sin, ask you to be their Savior and the Lord of their life. Thank you for listening to Headed Home with Pastor John. If you'd like to know more about a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, please visit our website at longviewbaptistchurch.org and click our contact link. Thank you for joining us.